Uh, If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to come with me now to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. This message entitled Resurrection, it's going to be memorable, trust me. And I hope what is most memorable is the reality of what the Scriptures say and what that can mean for each one of us as we live out our lives. This is God's Word. At the beginning of the service, I said it's alive and it's active, it's living, and it speaks to our hearts through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's help and um, just delivering the message today, but most importantly, that His Word rings loud and clear in our hearts and in our lives. So would you pray with me before we begin? Father, I thank you for this time together gathered around your Word. Lord, you speak into our hearts, you speak into our lives in such powerful ways. And I pray that, Lord, we would be listening and that, God, you would guide us and lead us here today. Be with the children's ministry as they lean in and learn about you. And be with us as we lean in as well. Bless this time, Lord. Please use me to communicate your truth here today. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 2, and we're going to start here in verse 1. Now keep in mind that the Apostle Paul is writing to believers in this city known as Ephesus, and so they're called Ephesians. And so this is a letter that's written to these Ephesians. They're believers, They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul starts off by saying, once you were dead. He's talking about a past. Okay, so that's how we begin. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. And you you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subjects to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when we raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and the kindness towards us as shown in all that He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. And salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, and He's created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. And we'll stop there and begin to break this passage down here this morning. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is describing two kinds of people in this particular passage. He's talking about people who are dead. 
That is, they don't have a life in Christ. And he's talking about people who are alive, who have a life in Christ. And so if we're talking about people who are dead, we need to understand what that even means because he's talking about people who at one point, even though they were walking around, he's calling them dead. And so what does he mean by that? And the first point is to understand that Paul is saying people are dead in their sin. They're dead in their sin. There are three forces that encourage people in their disobedience. The first force being the demonic realm. Satan is real. And the fallen angels, demons are real. And in the midst of all of that, they tempt people. They cause people to make decisions that I know in their hearts they don't want to make. But there's more than just the demonic realm. We live in a fallen world. We live in a cursed world where there's all kinds of things that are fingertips that are not good and godly. Where we live in a cursed world. And the last thing is, you and I, we have a sin nature that's in our DNA that was passed along to us from Adam and Eve. We have a sin nature. Satan influences the lives of all unbelievers, and he also seeks to influence believers. And he wants to make people sons of disobedience, for he himself was disobedient to God, and he wants other people to disobey God too. And the world, or our world system, puts all kinds of pressure on us, tries to get us to, to be conformed to the world, but Paul says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We can get so caught up in the things and the ways of the world, all the world has to offer. If you get into this, you'll finally be happy, and then we get into that and we go, I'm not happy. And Satan uses the things of the world to just completely ruin our lives. You know, you're feeling down. How about you go to some kind of substance? That'll make you feel better. And Satan uses all kinds of things here in his playground. And the world tries to get us to cave. And then in the midst of all of this, there is something going on in us that makes it very, very difficult to walk in this world free of sin. You and I, we have something called a sin nature. A sin nature, a fallen nature that we are born with. We're all born with it. And that sin nature wants to control our body and wants to control our mind and make us disobey God. Our human nature. We're dead spiritually and therefore we're unable to have a relationship with God and so then we just go through life completely blind, making poor decision after poor decision because of our human nature. What's interesting, when I read this week from the Wearsby Study Bible, it talks about how that the unbeliever, the unbeliever is not sick. The unbeliever is actually dead. Think of that. We walk around breathing, but yet we're dead. 
And the unbeliever does not need resuscitated. The unbeliever needs resurrected. All lost sinners are dead, and the only difference between one sinner and another is the state of decay. So the lost derelict on Skid Row may be more decayed outwardly than the unsaved societal leader, but both are dead in sin. And one corpse cannot be deader than another. They're dead. This means that our world is one vast graveyard filled with people who are dead while they live. So in our human nature, we are dead. Everybody say dead. 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 Woo! We're also deceived. And we're unable to understand our true condition And we willfully disobey what we know to be right. And we're defiled and we're unfit for God's holy presence. And we live according to our own selfish desires and our own lusts. And in the midst of all of that, while we walk around dead, we're doomed to eternal destruction as children of wrath. Do we have any sinners here this morning? Okay, how many of you sinned this week (laughs) or this morning? We're all a bunch of sinners, right? We should just try harder. Isn't this just a cheerful message? (laughs) We're dead, we're deceived, we're disobedient, we're defiled, we're doomed. Happy Easter, everybody. (laughs) Happy Easter. Let's pray. We'll close this out on that note. But wait a minute. Sunday's coming. The story's not over. God doesn't just leave us in this state of despair. God steps in. And when all looks dim, Paul speaks the greatest intervention, and it comes in two words. But God. That's not where the story ends in this despair. But God steps in and He does something about it. He is a game changer. Changes the game. Max Lucado recalls being young and the neighborhood kids coming together to play street football. And the minute they'd get home from school, they'd drop their books and hit the pavement. And the kids across the street, they had a dad who had a great arm and a strong addiction to football. And as soon as he'd pull up into the driveway from work, we'd start yelling for this dad to come over and join us as we played. And he couldn't resist. Out of fairness, when he'd show up, he'd always ask, Which team is losing? And then he would join that team. Lucado goes on to say, which often seemed to be mine. (laughs) But his appearance in the huddle changed the whole ball game. He was confident, he was strong, and most of all, he had a plan. And we'd circle around him, and and he'd look at us and say, Okay, boys, here's what we're going to do. 
And the other side, they'd be groaning before we'd even leave the huddle. It says, you see, we not only had a new plan, we had a new leader. Lucado goes on to say that he brought new life to our team. And God does precisely the same. We didn't need a new play. We needed a whole new plan. We didn't need to trade positions. We needed a new player. And that player is Jesus Christ, God's firstborn Son. A game changer. A game changer. And it says, as God is so rich in mercy, and He loves us so much, and this is where the story shifts, because God can make us alive in Christ. Alive in Christ. Because of His love, God gives us new life. Because of God's love, He raises us from the dead. And because of God's love, He places us with Christ. It says He seats us with Christ in heavenly realms. That's a pretty good seat to have at the table, don't you think? That's a pretty, pretty good guy to be sitting with. And when Jesus came back from the dead, He made several visitations, and one was to this man named John, who, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote out the book of Revelation. And Jesus shows up, and John falls down and Jesus says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's a pretty good guy to be sitting with, don't you think? I want my future in his hand. And in the midst of all of this, Paul goes on to say, so how, how do you become alive? He talks about God's grace. Probably one of the most famous verses that we're saved by grace through faith. God's grace saves us and redeems us. God did the work for me and His grace saves me. And guess what? In verse 10, now... I want to serve Him. Because God is telling us that when I've saved you, you've been now saved to go serve. Go and be a part of the purpose and the plan that I have of redemption. Because in all of the stories of these testimonies that are in this building and, and all around the world of people who have been redeemed by Christ, it's all to point back to the Lord and say, look at what He's done in my life. And there's somebody that is walking around, but they're dead. And they hear that testimony and they go, I want that. I'm tired of feeling empty. I'm tired of being a dead man walking. One of the things that Paul talks about is that Works don't save us. A lot of people think if I'm just good enough, maybe God will somehow let me into heaven. And Ephesians 2.8 just makes that very, very, very clear. It's not something that you can earn. 
This is a gift that's given by God Himself. And so you and I, we don't work for salvation. We work or we serve from a place of salvation. And I know we've touched on that before. The gentlemen who are assisting me here, I just want to encourage you to get into position here. In a moment, there's going to be a little funeral service we're going to have here today. Because there's a paradox in this whole thing. I'm dead, and I want to be alive. How do I get there? What do I got to do? Well, Luke chapter 9 describes that for us. This is straight from the words of Jesus. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways... Take up your cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Do we truly understand the significance of the cross? This was a tool of execution. And we wear the cross around our neck. We put the cross on buildings. We put it on steeples. The cross is all different kinds of places, but sometimes I don't know if we truly realize and understand the power that is in that and the reality that that was a tool that executed people. But we take up our cross daily and we follow Him. And if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it, but if you give up your life for the Lord's sake, you're going to save it. And then he goes on to say, what benefit is it if you gain the whole world, but then you forfeit your own soul? And you go after all these things that the world has to offer, and, and Satan's like putting it all together in this nice package. Look what this is. Look what you could have. And meanwhile, Jesus is going, look, you've got to give all that up if you want to be my follower. And so the paradox in all of this is that in order for us to live and to be alive in Christ is that we must die. We must die. We're going to have a little bit of a funeral processional. So our ushers are bringing in a casket. I'm serious. We've got to die. We die to sin. We, we die to the ways of the world. And, and, and we say, it's no longer about me. It's about what He wants to do. And to make a decision like that means you've got to die. We must die in order to live. Thank you, gentlemen. Boy, this is going to be a memorable Easter. <laughs> a friend of mine, Dean Weishauer, helped me out this morning. He told me he was coming out to the church to deliver me my casket. <laughs> That's an eerie thing to be told by an undertaker. But we die to our sin. 
It's no longer about me. If you want to live in God's kingdom, it's about the king. It's not about you anymore. And that is so hard because that sin nature that exists in us, we want to do things our way. It is all about us. But when it comes to Jesus, he says, I want you to die so that you can live. And you want to know a neat truth? When I die to myself and God's grace encounters my life, there's some things that start taking place. One of which is the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that's the Holy Spirit, He comes and He does a miracle in your life. And you become born again. Alive. You get saved. And the Holy Spirit, He gives you a new heart, but then when it says the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says that that same Spirit lives in you. Whoa. So if I've got the Holy Spirit now living in me, do you think that's going to change some things? Yeah. It's going to change my life. Things are going to start to look different. I mean, you don't have the dead razor show up into your life and nothing changes. I said a prayer, I raised my hand at church, but I went back on Monday to my same old life. To be saved, we're transformed. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life and we start to act differently. We start to do things differently because God is now influencing our decisions. And we still wrestle between what the Spirit wants to do and what we want to do, but there is a change because we died and the Spirit now lives in us. You know, Ephesians talks about how the Holy Spirit is a deposit that's given to us. Now, I don't know how many of you are in the banking world, but you give a deposit. If you remember the layaway days, you put a deposit down, you're coming back for the item you put a deposit on. And the Holy Spirit is called a deposit because God's coming back for us. And He's coming to get those who have the Spirit in their life. That's good news. It gets even better. So he's coming back, but because of Jesus' resurrection, you and I, we have a resurrection that will one day take place. We're going to have new bodies. And you know what that means? That just as the tomb was empty, that means someday the casket in which I'm going to be laid to rest in is going to be empty too. Just let that sink in. Because of what Jesus has done for me, and because He rose from the dead, I am going to rise also. And that is a truth for anyone that is in Christ. For anyone 
who believes in Jesus. And in Romans 6 it says, If we've been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly be united with Him in His resurrection. And we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with and we're no longer slaves to sin. Because anyone who's died has been set free. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we're also going to live with Him. And we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, and He cannot die again, death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once and for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. And in verse 11, in the same way, counts yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'll make it very clear. There are many people who walk around breathing, talking, eating, driving, all kinds of stuff, and it would seem that they're alive, but in the spiritual realm, they're very much dead. As I read a moment ago, our world is full. It's a graveyard full of people who are dead, even though they're walking around. And the message of Jesus Christ encounters their life, and they're made new, and they're alive. So a question I have for all of us, how does this apply to our lives? Everything about this applies to my life. If it wasn't for Christ, I'd just be dead in my sin, and I would have no hope. But because of Christ dying for me and raising to new life, His resurrection changes everything. Is his, is his resurrection a reality in your life? Are you saved? Have you been transferred from death to life by putting your faith and trust in Jesus and say it's no longer about me, it's about Him? If you have, that's awesome. If you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Him. He changes lives because of His resurrection. And this news is not something to be quiet about. There's a whole graveyard that's all around us that we can be sharing the life of Jesus Christ with. Because it's real. It's real. Would you pray with me as we close this message. Lord, you desire to bring life. And there's many things that Satan has destroyed. And if there's somebody listening right now that would desire the life-transforming touch of Jesus, 
and you're saying to yourself, I want to die to my sin and put my faith in Jesus, then I encourage you to pray with me right now to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, make me alive. Please forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Make me alive in Christ. Thank you for dying for me. And in your resurrection, you give me new life. And so today I put my faith and trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. And I believe that right now you're transforming my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're giving your Spirit to me to live the life that you desire. And to know that someday you're going to come and get me and bring me to heaven. And that one day I will have a resurrection. And I thank you for that reality. Lord, I thank you for those who've just prayed to receive you. And Father, I ask that as we move forward here in this week, we would proclaim this life-giving message to so many around us who are dead in sin. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to speak very clearly of your grace. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.